Good evening, guys. Welcome to Dog Sports Live. I'm Josh Hancher. I'm joined by Dr. Ed Fang of the Power Rank and my co-host Graham Coffey of SB Nation. Thank you for joining us tonight, Ed. Ed, if you don't know Ed, you should know Ed because he does football <laughs> stats and he also does gambling, which is like me and Graham together. But he has a, a website called thepowerrank.com that hosts that uh, that talks about analytics of not just college football but pro football, soccer, basketball. He also hosts the Football Analytics Podcast and uh, gives out tons of information. He literally wrote the book on how to win your NCAA bracket pool. Um, so check that out on Amazon next fall, uh, next spring when uh, you get into March Madness. Ed, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, excited to be here. Yes. So Graham and I talk numbers and Graham and, and also football uh, plays and, and breakdowns and stuff. But we got you on here tonight to really talk about kind of the work that you do over at the Power Rank. Um, and, uh, and, and so my, my thing is I collect numbers. I, I just show numbers. I tell people what these numbers mean, but I don't do that extra, that big next leap forward in terms of modeling and using algorithms to really crunch numbers. And also instead of just talk about numbers, actually sort of project and, uh, you know, anticipate numbers and, and the games that we're, what's going to happen. So tell us what you can share about your, your method and, and what you can share with our guys. Yeah, I mean, so you talked about how you take data, and I think that's actually really, really interesting because I've just been doing that with betting on the Olympics recently. Um, so I actually had no predictive models for any of that. I'm actually kind of a track fan, and, and I used some data, and I did all right. I wish I could have done a little bit better. Um, but, you know, with, with what I'm an expert at with football analytics is, uh, you know, I take the data and I take it a little further. So, you know, you have, um, you know, useful metrics like margin of victory, and this is how the power rank first got started. And, you know, just raw margin of victory is, is a very good thing to look at. Uh, it's actually pretty predictive. And some of my former research showed that that was actually better at predicting games than something mathematically sophisticated like the Collie matrix, which only used wins and losses in its calculation. But what, what I essentially do is I take margin victory and I adjust for strength of schedule. And the details are complicated. It comes from some of my research uh, that I did uh, when I was working on my PhD at Stanford, uh, but I take margin victory, I adjust for strength of schedule, and so it accounts for the fact that Georgia plays in the SEC, and that's a a lot more. That's a much more difficult schedule than a team playing in the Sun Belt, and this is something you need to adjust for, especially in college football, especially in in college basketball. I also do some pretty good international soccer as well. It's less important in in the NFL, although I would argue it is still necessary uh, in order to have really good numbers. So, yeah, I mean, that's the most important thing I do, and that's the most important aspect of my analysis. It all started with margin of victory uh, all the way back in 2008. That's how I first got into uh, – that's, that's why my site is called The Power Rank, because I was doing these power rankings based on margin of victory, adjusted for strength of schedule. Things have really evolved over the last decade, so now I look at a variety of different metrics – and I mean, honestly, you know, the variety of different metrics and how they are combined is really kind of the secret sauce of what I do in yeah. terms of predictions going forward. I can't just use margin of victory, sure. adjust for schedule and be a winner uh, in this day and age. So what, why, why are you talking about winner? What is, uh, what is winner in, in, in the, vo and you're probably betting at a volume or you're, you know, professional bettors are betting at a volume. So what, what numbers do you want to hit as, a, as to be a winner? 55, 50, 4%, is that what your goal is? I mean, obviously, your goal is 100%, but... 
realistically speaking. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. We want to be reasonable. I mean, I think, you know, anything over 52.4%, you know, is if you're betting at minus 110 is is the goal and, you, and you're going to be winning there. Um, you know, winning at betting is going to be a combination of both the analytics that I do and also subjective analysis on top of that. I do not recommend that you just look at my numbers and go make bets because uh, I, 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 that's not what I do. And I don't really think that is a good idea, especially yeah, you're, if it's, you're, just, are, adding, you're just adding another data point to folks. And I mean, obviously the people that we're talking to are recreational bettors too. So they're going to be right. betting on the teams that they're interested in. And I think your insight and your weekly newsletter that you can get it from Ed is pretty, pretty great because you, uh, it comes down, you know, a lot of stuff I talk about is EPA and success rate. I mean, he's just giving you, Georgia is 1.4 better than Notre Dame. You know, I know that number stuck out at me uh, back in 2018 uh, when Georgia played Notre Dame at home. Um, and yeah. Georgia, came, Georgia came in with a high uh, success rate running the ball, and, and uh, Notre Dame was giving up um, a lot of plays on the ground. But, you know, everyone, it was a six-and-a-half-point spread, and, and you had that close, much closer to a two-point game. And it was, it was a six-point game, but it was a much closer, much closer game than, the, than that score indicated. It was, went down to the last play. Graham, uh, jump in here. You got you got something I know. I know you do. <laughs> well, I, I am curious. Uh, a couple things, I guess. One would be with your. So I, you know, you kind of stressed how you look at margin of victory when you're doing that. Is there any filtering out of of garbage time? Is there any point where, like, you know, the that margin becomes redundant? I guess would be the question I would ask. If that's not giving away too much secret sauce. Yeah. So my, my approach with that is that um, my method strongly kind of deweights the outliers. Uh, So, so for example, you know, you're going to get a lot more credit for beating. um, Okay. So you're playing, you're playing two, you're playing a team of equal strength and you beat them by 10. Uh, So the difference between, you know, like a tie game and beating them by 10, that means a lot more than beating a really bad team by 60 instead of 50. Gotcha. Okay. And so that's kind of what I was curious about. Yeah. And so this was, um, yeah, this is really important in college football, obviously, because you do have the the blowouts and, you know, we remember the, the entire BCS stuff about, you know, not wanting to run up the score. And so you can't use margin of victory. And that was, uh, you know, crock of crock of poop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but well, no, when I first developed the method that like, I wasn't really thinking about that. Right. I wasn't thinking about deweighting these blots or anything like that. And so I started running the numbers and uh, I, I ran NFL numbers first and there was a game in which new England beat Tennessee 59 to nothing. Uh-huh. And it was like the sixth game of the season. And it was like the first year I was running and I was like, Oh no, what is that going to do? <laughs> right. Like what is that going to do to my power ranking numbers that I'm trying to, you know, put out there to my friends and, and trying to convince them this is worth looking at. And that's when I discovered, oh, I mean, New England only went up a point. So there there was very, there was a strong sense of diminishing returns with mm-hmm. that win. And um, yeah, so that's when I knew that was one of the key attributes to, to the methods that I was doing. Gotcha. I mean, I, yeah, so I, I know the- for me as a, a better, like, you know, there's, I look at certain advanced analytics and then I also look at a lot of the, the things that are going on from a coaching standpoint or a scheme standpoint, mm-hmm. or, you know, this guy is just a mismatch against this defensive mm-hmm. bet or so on and so forth. Even, even weather with certain teams, right. Um, 
So, I mean, I guess on your end, when you're talking about some of those variables that you kind of apply into the numbers after looking at the numbers, is that the type of stuff you're, you're looking at is just kind of your own knowledge of, of programs and. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you want to look at, I mean, certainly things like injuries, right? And not all injuries are, are equal. If you lose your top cornerback, mm-hmm. that's way more important than losing your top linebacker or your, your top run stuffing defensive tackle more so in the NFL, but I, the same thing applies to college football. Uh, as Nick Saban all taught us last year about how college football is becoming more and more like the NFL where passing dominates, you need a really good passing offense. Um, you know, you want to understand things like uh, the upside of teams, right? You want to understand the difference between what Stetson Bennett gives you and what uh, JT Daniels gives you. And uh, I'll have a lot of questions for you guys about that a little bit later in the show when we get to the Georgia specific aspect of it. But you know, there's a different ceiling there. So the numbers, and, and, you know, part of this is you just have to remember that the numbers are only a noisy estimator of what the true strength of a team is, what the true strength of a pass offense is. And so you can use this kind of analysis, knowledge of programs, recruiting rankings, whatever, to assign ceilings, you know, high ceilings, um, you know, high floor for these. Mm -hmm. And, And those things I think are really all important. And, um, and, and yeah, those are the type of things I look at. Okay, so I had your your power rank from last season. I'm going to put it back up here, and you had um, obviously Alabama was the number. Uh, let me see here, power rank number one. Okay, yeah, Alabama was the, the number one uh, team on your, and that, so that was against average an average team. I know last year being COVID twenty twenty yeah. twenty was hard. What uh, what what is an average team? And when we're looking at, if you go click on your site and you say, okay, what's an average team? Um, and can you tell us, I mean, without giving away too much away, sort of what, you know, is, is it just you aver- aggregate all those scores and that, yeah, tell me a little bit about that if you can. Yeah. I mean, the average team is, I mean, the, the simplest way, and, and I'm pretty sure is at worst, a very good approximation to it is just the average rating overall 130 FBS teams. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of the baseline that I'm looking at. Um, if you look at my preseason numbers right now, you know, you have a range between, Alabama, I think they're 32, 33 points better than, than an average FBS team. They're going to be number one uh, to Massachusetts. That's minus 35 or 36 points worth <laughs> uh, right. than uh, an average FBS team. And, yeah, so everything kind of goes beyond that. Uh, every team has a rating. And then when you subtract the ratings of two teams, you're going to get a predicted point spread at a neutral site. You can add in your, uh, what am I using, 2.4 points for college football this year uh expecting essentially full stadiums okay uh, i'll use 2.4 points that's changed uh over the last couple of years so add that to the home team and that's uh the basics behind how i do a prediction okay so if in, in my time on uh, bet, betting podcast you hear a lot about priors are, mm-hmm. are how, how you're you're weighing in previous seasons and, and sort of kind of the bill Connolly thing where of recruiting right. and that sort of info as well right yeah so priors is is kind of a technical term. I, I think, you know, if you're as a football fan, you just want to say this is our preseason expectations of teams. And it matters. It matters halfway through the season. It even matters a little bit during bowl season. Very little bit during bowl season, but it still matters a little bit. I still I still have it in there. And I've got your uh, your adjusted or your de- uh, opponent adjusted rank for the defense last year. Georgia was – now you are using success rate in this formula, right? Uh, I believe so. You know, some of the numbers I was looking at from last year were, were a little bit different from that. Um, yeah. 
and, and we can talk about the specifics there. But it's interesting, uh, though, because, you know, Georgia's defense was okay last year, not what we were expected to, but you right. still had them highly rated. Is that is that a prior factor like you're talking in, like we've just talked about that's factoring into that? And, and you know, and, and so that's important to, that – you the, over the long time, sometimes this regression to the mean will until maybe that you can expect a good defense out of Georgia, even though they, their numbers may not for the last three or four games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's certainly one way that you can come up with a prior for this season. That's in fact exactly what Bill Connolly will do with his SP rankings that you can get over um, at ESPN. That's actually not my approach. Um, I I used to run a model kind of like that where I would look at a team's past history and look at returning starters and and look at a couple other statistics and, and do a regression model. I kind of retired that model, uh, mostly because I knew that Bill Connolly was working harder on his uh, <laughs> than I was on mine and, and keeping up with all the, and things are getting so much more complicated in college football with uh, transfers and the new rules and, and things like that as well. So so the, the main metric that I rely on and that members of the power rank get is based on market win totals. So I'll look at the market win totals and I have code that adjusts and tries to find a rating that's essentially consistent with that win total. So that includes the team schedule that includes, I mean, that includes everyone's schedule. Right. So, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. Oh, no, no, that's fine. Uh, so essentially I, the raw data is market win totals. Uh, I'm translating that into preseason rankings. That's the most important aspect of my preseason prior. And so that would be something, I mean, that would be the dominant component for the first couple of weeks. It'll get, lower weight as we get success rate data we get yards for pass attempt data for the season and um yeah something i feel really good about uh not only because i think the raw data is pretty good i um you know i asked bill to look at the the win totals over at DraftKings before i had them on the podcast last week and he's like i i don't really have much a lot of these are very consistent with what i'm looking at so I feel pretty good about the DraftKings numbers and what they're translating uh, into my preseason rankings. So, I mean, I, I think that brings up an interesting point just for, for any better out there. Like I, what I hear you saying in a sense is that if you have a system and that system is showing a, you know, consistently a, a massive variations between Vegas lines and, and what you're outputting, then probably there's something wrong with the system just because chances are you're never going to have that big of an edge over Vegas. Is that a fair statement? Uh, I think that's a fair statement in college football for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, nice. you had a great episode recently where you talked about closing line value and, and that kind of speaks to what Graham just said. By the time that the games kick off, if you're betting on Saturday morning, the market, oh, <laughs> well, there it is. There, there it is from Dr. Ed Fang himself. Don't bet on Saturday. Wait, what did, what did you say? Don't bet on <laughs> Saturday morning. Please don't bet on Saturday morning. <laughs> no, yeah. I, that's why you I, be I, very uh, confident in your take on Saturday morning. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're Graham Coffee and you got, you know, inside information coming down <laughs> on Saturday morning, fire away. Hey, but I'm not, I'm not privy to those type of details. So I'm going to leave that yeah. to the experts. We know somebody tripped coming off the plane Friday afternoon and sprained an ankle, then then maybe, right? But yeah, no, that's why I've always appreciated uh, the work that Bud Elliott does over twenty four seven because he he always hits the lines on Sunday when they're released, yep. and uh, they're not obviously not quite as sharp at that point. But um, I yeah, am no, curious. Bud's, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say Bud's fascinating because I think we all know him as this recruiting guy. He's a college football expert kind of thing. No, that dude's a betting savant. 
Like right. he kind of knows more about college football betting than maybe anyone else I know. So he, he truly knows uh, a lot. And um, yeah, no, I, I had him on the podcast recently. I definitely follow everything he does uh, because he, he knows a lot about betting college football. Yeah. He put, he had plus 900 for Georgia. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, and what is it now? Uh, plus five, right? Yeah. yeah it's, so there you go. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I am curious with your rankings. Uh, I think one of the, the charts that Josh flashed up there, the victor, uh, the margin of victory against average opponent, you had uh, Iowa up there in the top five and uh, a lot of teams that, you know, you, it seems like they're, they're in the appropriate spot, but I didn't see UNC in there. Or wait, no, they are in there. Maybe I have the wrong chart in front of me here. Okay. never mind. Wait. No, that's the object. Yeah. I mean, we should talk about it. I'm, I mean, I'm curious about your take there just because I have seen them some sort of variation on, on your end. Yeah. So when I look at the win totals adjusted for, uh, no, sorry, <laughs> I'm so used to saying adjusted for strength of schedule. Excuse me. When I look at market win totals and I back out my preseason college football rankings, North Carolina is 11th. And I actually think they're a really fascinating team. Uh, if you want to take anyone outside of the top 10 that has a prayer, of winning a national title, I think you have to go with the Tar Heels. And, and the main reason, Sam Howell. I think he's mm-hmm. an excellent quarterback. I think he is probably the top pick in the 2022 NFL draft. And I think that's the kind of talent you need to have a prayer against a Georgia and Alabama and a Clemson. Um, you just have to look at who has won a title since uh, 2008 or, or whenever Saban won his first. Uh, right. Just, look at who has won a title and it's either been Alabama or it's been someone with the first pick in the NFL draft, a quarterback, or it was Ohio state who got lucky with Cardell Jones. Is that kind of mess with your system at all? I mean, obviously college football in the playoff era and towards the end of the BCS, it's becoming more and more quarterback driven, but like we saw Nick Marshall take Auburn to a a BCS Mm -hmm. title game. Uh, We saw Jacob Coker win a national title at Alabama and now it's like, it, it, you know, we talk a lot about on this show, the price of admission into the elite level of college football is a a, a very, very good, if not elite quarterback, depending yep. on what the talent around him is. So have you had to change how you weight things to account for the the Burroughs and the Joneses, or is that still too, too small of a, a sample set? I think I need, I'm not ready to really reweight everything. Um, but, you know, we, we already kind of discussed how the high ends of college football are moving towards the NFL, where passing is more dominant. You need that quarterback. And the second most important thing is you need guys who can cover, right? And this is straight from Nick Saban's mouth. Yeah. Um, I think we're and, – and I'm not – so I'm not changing my models. I'm not ready to do that. I haven't really looked at the last five years and say, oh, is, is passing even more important than it's been previously in college football? Should I wait that more? I'm not at that point yet. But maybe that's certainly part of my subjective analysis when uh, when when I do this this kind of uh, thing. So offenses are kind of dominating when you uh, you know Alabama had a great defense last year, yeah. right? By any kind of metric, um, but when they went up against Florida, I mean the over was about as easy a call. <laughs> as I can remember making just when you have those lead offenses and Kyle Trask, you know, I mean, you can argue that he's not elite. He's not going to be a great NFL quarterback, 
but man, those guys got it done last year. Right. And so it's, we're, we're at a point where the offenses are kind of dominating in the same way that, uh, that there are, that they are in the NFL. I mean, you just need a really good quarterback. And if you have a really good offense against a really good defense, you kind of favor the offense and, and, you know, eventually uh, I, I do want to have the time to look at that quantitatively, but I do think that is, is something that we can, uh, that's certainly part of my subjective analysis and, and where I think in terms of both sides and totals with these elite college football programs. So along those lines with Sam, how he's not returning oh, right. with, with, with not as returning as much uh, playing time, but Spencer Rattler in Oklahoma, is another one of those that yep. you know, they're, they're not outside the top 10. They're probably number three or four. What are you, what are your thoughts on, on that? I mean, I think they're, they're uh, win total is 11, so it's pretty high right. up there. Are you showing the same thing in, in terms of your numbers? Yeah. So, I mean, my numbers certainly like Oklahoma more. So in the, in these market driven preseason numbers, they're third. And so Oklahoma is certainly kind of the first competitor after our, uh, the top two dogs in Alabama and Clemson. But on the other hand, I, I like what I see from Sam Howell a lot more than, than what I've seen from, from Rattler. And um, I, I mean, I do have faith in North Carolina. Their, their pass defense, when I look at adjusted success rate last year, was pretty high. I don't know exactly the number, but they were at least the top 25 unit. Struggled with some injuries, are getting a lot of guys back. And from some of my readings about that defense, it seems like they got a lot of uh, blue trip recruits coming in on the defensive line. So it seems like they do have a lot of, you know, it's if you get a little bit lucky with injuries and a, and a bunch of guys that come through, uh, you can see that defense maybe being a top 15 type unit. And then all of a sudden, you know, you you have a team that's at least not going to get blown out in the ACC championship game against Clemson. And uh, I mean, that would be great for college football, right? You know, maybe an exciting championship game. So, so yeah, North Carolina is definitely the team that I'm looking at that I find most intriguing and, uh, and I appreciate you asking me about that. Uh, that will definitely be coming up in, in a preview series I'll be doing on my podcast a little bit later this August. So speaking of Clemson, obviously Georgia has the big opening game with Clemson and, you know, I've, I've been watching back Clemson games from last season and specifically digging really deep into that Notre Dame game. Cause that's really the only time we yeah. get to see DJ, um, but I, I'm just kind of curious, what's your take on them? Cause they do, they lose Lawrence, they lose ETN, they lose a lot of production. Um, but you're, you know, it sounds like you have them still number two on the, in the preseason. Yeah. Uh, I mean, first I love the fact that, that Georgia is going into death Valley in game one. I think that's, no, that's, it's, it's a neutral it's, game. It's Charlotte. Oh, is it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. It's Charlotte. Oh, good. So I was about to tell you that I've, Clemson by four and a half points, but I should double check that I have that right checked as a neutral side game. Um, but anyways, it's great. It's great for the sport, right? Yeah. I mean, this is just, you know, it, it gets your, <laughs> it gets your juices flowing uh, that first weekend. And I think that's awesome. Um, you know, honestly, like would I pick Georgia to win the game at this point. No. Right. I mean, I mean, Clemson it has been one of those marquee programs. We saw enough from DJ to think that he's going to be a pretty decent quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I think maybe JT Daniels has a higher ceiling. Well, we'll see, uh, time will tell, but, um, yeah, I mean, but you have for a Georgia program, you have a chance to make a, a big time statement and to say that the, this is your year to, to challenge for the national title in week one. And, you know, Clemson has been so dominant and they've been really good, but 
they go through that ACC schedule and you kind of don't find out how good their secondary is until you meet a good team like an Ohio State that has right. elite receivers. And that they didn't really pass that test last year. Well, it was interesting yeah. when I had your numbers up there. You had uh, Clemson as a 25-point favorite. And, you know, in Ohio State, even on a small sample size of seven games, you had him at 34. So that blowout, uh, according to your, your stats, was not surprising. So you, you were kind of spot on there at the end of the year last year. Yeah, yeah, sure. Th- yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember, like, I don't – I think I had Ohio State spread-wise, but I don't, I don't think it was, like, huge. If I – did you have – do you have – Yeah, I got that up here. I can – let me see if I can – while he's looking for that, I am I'm curious, and I know this is, we're talking about college football, but who did you have to win the Super Bowl? Did you did you see that that coming with Tampa Bay and the defensive line just taking over that game? Uh no. I mean, I had I had Kansas City. Uh, I had Kansas City winning the game. I think it was a point and a half. But no, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I bet on Kansas City too. I was just curious, just because the that. The Georgia Clemson game is a game to me that feels like all things being equal. Uh, three and a half is probably very close to, if not the right number uh, mm-hmm. where it is yeah. right now. But I do think that there is a decent chance or maybe not decent, but there is a, a chance out there that Georgia's front seven is just so good that it kind of wrecks everything mm-hmm. else. And, right. and none of these other things can get rolling uh, on the Clemson side of things. So I don't know. That's it's it just kind of the last time I saw that happen on a yeah. football field was the Super Bowl, um, and it's just it's going to be one of those fascinating things, and it's obviously impossible for us to predict in this moment. But I do think there's a, a possibility of that happening, but I don't know how you you know really account for that. Yeah. So you're, you're so you're pretty high on the on the Georgia front seven in the defense. Yeah, I mean that's the the secondary. I think is going to be. Good, but not great, especially week right. one. But I think that front seven uh, may may just make up for it to the point where there's not often enough time right. to exploit that. Yeah. Well, uh, if Ed, I've got your the, the, on the power rank from 2020. You had Ohio State at uh, margin victory at 35.47. You had Clemson at 24.5. Right. So I know. So if we're yeah. looking at that, that's not a 10 point head to head game, right? You're you're doing right. some sort of adjustment there. Well, and I also believe probably what you're looking at is after that game. Okay. So if I'm not mistaken, I think Clemson was favored in that game. I think they were too, yeah. And I think I had Ohio State, but not by a ton. Yeah. So the numbers certainly thought Ohio State could hang in there. Um, You know, I didn't, I, I just, I I guess what I'm saying is I didn't really expect the the massive margin of victory. I thought Ohio State could win. I I think it would have been, I think it would have been reasonable to make them the favorite, but not by a ton. And, you know, it just worked out. It worked out that way. Come on, man. We're trying to make you look good here. Just play into it. <laughs> well, I, you know, you know, we got to set unrealistic expectations. <laughs> All right. But before we turn over, because I think you wanted to ask us some questions, I wanted to just talk about again that Ed hosts the powerrank.com. You can go there, you get a free newsletter every week with NFL and college football uh, predictions and sort of talks about it's It's super informative. Um, and also you can join his is the be a member of the power rank and get all the stuff that we've been kind of showing here and the the opponent adjusted stuff and you can sort of make your own sort of background on that so please if you're if you're interested in this stuff and what we're talking about go to ed's, uh, the power rank.com and follow him on twitter at the power rank 
Um, I think he's definitely in line with a lot of what we talked about and uh, it's really good, really good info. So Ed, did you want to, do you want to ask us some questions before we wrap up the show? Yeah. Some non-football stuff. Absolutely. So what, what, why did JT Daniels start his first game in so late in the season last year? What, what's your guys's, what's the inside scoop? I mean, the, I think that there's a difference between being cleared for contact and ready for contact. Um, okay. I mean, he, he had another surgery in January to clean up that knee. Right. And so sure. I don't think he was ever really playing on two good legs at any point last year. Uh, but so, you know, so he, January 2021, he had another surgery, right? Yeah. He had a second surgery after the, the peach bowl against Cincinnati and you know, the, the biggest weakness that Daniels had last year was some of those deep balls, especially in the bowl game. He would have guys that were clear five, seven yards, and those deep balls would just kind of stop in midair and, and die. And my personal theory is that may have been due to the fact he wasn't able to really drive off that back leg because that was the knee that was that was hurt yeah. for him. Um, so I'm hoping that you see better deep ball accuracy from him this season. I think we did see really only one deep throw from him, true deep throw in the spring game, but it, it did look better. Um, but again, small sample set and not, not, you know, under live pass rush, but I, I think with him, yeah, I, I think that truthfully, there was also just the question of like, he came out this week and had an interview kind of talking about how he struggled mentally with some things. And when he got to Georgia, he was like, you know, going up against Jordan Davis and some of these, monster freak athletes and practice on the scout team and asking himself if he's really meant to play college football just because he had not seen athletes like that until he got to the uh, sec so i think that he was kind of you know trying to get his confidence right i think the coaching staff was trying to find their confidence in him um but like especially after they lost that alabama game uh it's just if you're not 100 percent sure that he's ready to go why, why put him out there and, and risk it, especially when your season's probably already sunk, but that that's my own and, and, theory and on it. Stetson Bennett had a great game against Auburn, you know, and, you know, there was, there was, I think there was definitely Kirby smart saying, you know, if the guy's not a hundred, absolutely hundred percent sure. And Stetson's given us, you know, all he's got, I think that, you know, there may have been a, a reluctance to, to change gears, you know, that early in the season too. But once the Florida game was over, it was clear that it was, let's, start prepping for next year and that's where jt came in after a couple weeks you know a week off of the after i think it was actually two weeks off because i think south carolina one of the games got postponed or something so he had plenty of time to get in the offense and yeah he looked great that's why we're excited i i think you know you talk about and uh, many times on your podcast about what it takes to beat alabama is that elite quarterback play and you know Mm -hmm. definitely dog nation feels like jt is is that elite level that can challenge alabama and nick saban to maybe get over that hump yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, he he was in that class. Uh, this is a this is a Bud Elliott thing, right? He was in that class mm-hmm. with Trevor Lawrence and, and Justin Fields, and I remember Bud being like, "These three guys are all at another level." Right. And we've seen two of them play at another level, and, and and JT was okay at at USC. Maybe that was the coaching staff. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> but you know, now he's got an opportunity to do it at the highest level. So, so we'll see. Uh, what what's the latest on uh, George Pickens? Uh, so he's running in a straight line. Uh, and okay. I think, Good. I think, yeah, I think there's some speculation that maybe he could be back for the Florida game. If everything goes according to plan. Oh, okay. 
Um, you know, there was a guy, Devod Wilson, who is not a big, a big name or anything like that. He ended up transferring out of the program, but he was a defensive back a couple of years ago at Georgia that, that tore his ACL very similar injury, uh, in spring practice and was back, you know, full contact by, by mid October. So all these guys, a lot of it's more mental than, than physical in, in some cases, um, when it comes to actually getting back on the field, but there's a lot, there's been a lot of people that think that he might leave the program and just go to the NFL and not risk his draft stock. But the things that I'm hearing and the things that the, the people that know more than I do, the things that they're hearing seems to be like he's engaged. And if, if George is rolling into that Florida game undefeated or with one loss, I think you will see him back on the field towards the, the last third of the season. Or if we see Jamar Chase stink and Penny Sewell stink and, and <laughs> who, who else, who else missed all of last season that got drafted really high. Uh, oh man. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, so these guys are going to start their NFL careers. And I think a lot of those guys are going to start and we'll, we'll see. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I think back to Michigan, Jalen Mayfield at the, uh, the tackle was, you know, slated to be a first round pick had done a really good job against Chase Young and then got hurt, you know, so yeah, right. you can't so question what goes on there. Yeah, you, I, I have a hard time. I mean, you want to cheer for your school and cheer for your team, but it's like these guys are making, you know, five, 10 year decisions with their bodies and stuff. So it's yeah. hard to it's hard to question you know, especially in terms of a meaningless bowl game, but that's, that, that might be a podcast for another day. Yeah. All right. You brought up Michigan and that is, is that your alma mater and team or just your team? And what, what can we expect from the Wolverines this year? Yeah. So, so I would, they're they're my team. I live here in Ann Arbor. Uh, Almost can't not be my team, but I I do enjoy following the program. Uh, It's been an interesting story. People around here are kind of down after what happened last year. Uh, two and four season, uh, obviously not a lot to, uh, you know, they didn't play well. Uh, Penn State also had a pretty bad record for a while, but but they were more of the unlucky type, right? Uh, Should have yeah. had a couple more wins than they actually did. Michigan just looked bad. Um, I'm a little bit more optimistic, and I, I think we saw some good things with the skill position players that they're putting out there. You're seeing a lot of speed and quickness that we haven't seen with this program before. Um, with, uh, I think, I think they have some, uh, they have, they have some pretty good shots at the quarterback position, both in terms of Bowman, the, the transfer that's coming in, um, and some of the other guys, and then a freshman that could, could be really good. So th- I, I think they're going to be okay at the quarterback position. And then it, it really matters how that defense bounces back. So they were just miserable last year. Uh, it looked like they didn't have any talent and they hadn't practiced. So, you know, they get Aiden Hutchinson back, who is an outside contender to be Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. You need – yeah, you need him. Um, you, he, he's a really key piece. The secondary looked bad, but Jemin Green was was at least decent, and they got a couple young kids that they think can cover. So if Harbaugh made the right hire with getting McDonald with the new defensive coordinator, and that's a big if in my mind because Don Brown was a great defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, I think things could be all right. When I look at my market win totals and and back out my college football preseason rankings, they're 22nd. Uh, so you're looking at seven and a half wins ish, and with a pretty difficult schedule, that seems about right. Yeah. And you know, it all depends on how things come together. But you know, I would say kind of as a numbers guy, um, 
being a little less partial than some of the people around town here, uh, I, I think I'm a little bit more optimistic about the program. I'm kind of in line with a, a lot of the national people I've talked to that think like, yeah, the program's fine. I mean, we're, are they going to beat Ohio State this year? Probably not. But, right. um, but who is? <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, I think Georgia could. Yeah, um, I do too. But I mean, within the <laughs> within the Big Ten, is there anyone that that you feel like is close to Ohio State? No, but I also feel like Ohio State has a lot to prove in year three. So Ryan Day's had Justin Fields the first two years and, and they were incredible year one, right? They were a legit national title contender. And then the, the past defense really dropped off last year. So right. who knows what happened with that? Um, you know, I mean, they clearly have the talent. They, they should be a top five team. They should be going to the college football playoff, but you know, from my perspective, I'm not ready to put Ryan Day in, in the Nick Saban, Dallas Mooney category yet. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's there's still a lot. It's going to be interesting to see what, kind of what happens when he cycles through uh, a full, you know, four year of right. Myers players and, and it becomes all his guys and sort of he's also going to have to start replacing assistants here soon because inevitably, mm-hmm. unless you're Clemson, who continues to hold on to Venables and Tony Elliott yeah. year after year. Uh, you're you're going to lose coordinators every season or two if you continue to be a CFB caliber team every year. I do want to ask, uh, just because we've had a lot of internal debate here on, on our show about it, what's your feeling on LSU this year? Because I'm like, if you're telling me you got a team that's like top five in blue chip ratio and I can get them at, at eight wins, that seems like a really good bargain yeah i don't know i don't know if i want to publicly talk about okay no no worries no worries (laughs) no 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 no, no. i'm completely joking um again it's this thing where like a coach okay so sec coach in the sec west takes over a talented program gets a once in a lifetime quarterback wins a national title and then has a bad year the next year right this is not the first time we've heard this story ding ding gene chizik and he was out two years later. Right. So, you know, I'm not saying that's going to happen to coach O, but. You're, you're not I, convinced. You're not convinced. Huh? I don't know. I'm not, I mean, again, it's, it's the same thing. Um, right. You know, like Clay Helton had Sam Darnold for two years. That make that makes the coach look pretty good. Um, you know, I mean, it hasn't, you know, I'm, things aren't peachy out there. You guys have already mentioned with, uh, <laughs> course, you know, how JP yeah. Daniels talked about the talent level he was seeing on the other side of the ball uh, when he came to Georgia. But, you know, I mean, maybe maybe this is an analytic size in terms of just thinking about a bigger sample, like thinking about coaches over more than just, you know, one great player. And, you know, uh, Coach O doesn't have Dave Miranda either. Yeah. So, or Joe yeah. Brady. Yeah. Or but Joe he, Brady. But losing Bo Pelini is like gaining two good coaches. So. <laughs> that's, that's, that's very true. <laughs> so, yeah, I was just looking. So, I got LSU 13, and it's like, you know, it's, that's, I feel like at best, like it, it's a high variance team. You okay. can imagine totally. many different outcomes. Would it shock me that they're under 500 and, you know, the 40th best team when I look at numbers at the end of the year? No. Would it shock you if they are in Atlanta playing in the SEC championship game in December? Maybe. Well, yeah, but Alabama's replacing a quarterback too. You know, right. you have a new regime in Auburn. Um, 
Yeah, no, I guess not. So that's yeah. the tough. Yeah, that's just and, that's what and, we've been talking about. There's A&M, such a... yeah, A and M Alabama are replacing quarterbacks as well. So yeah, um, so yeah. watch out for Ole Miss is what we're saying. Yeah, hundred percent vaccinated. We heard that today. Um, yeah. I, and thank you. Before we let you go, all right, Ed always ends his show with some non-football questions with his guys. I don't not going to be trying to pretend that I'm going to be a literate person like so many of his guests are. But <laughs> and nor am I a foodie. But I did want to ask you: Have you traveled a lot to the South? Have you been in SEC country? What is what is is there anything that jumps out about you about food in the, in the South that you could maybe uh, talk about as, as you uh, having a good experience with some food down here? Yeah, so so I have been to Athens, Georgia for a game. Uh, so that was pretty awesome and really enjoyed the experience. Do hope to come back. Um, in terms of the South, like uh, I love New Orleans for food. Uh, I think the whole idea of a French background, but with some spices, one of culinary's best ideas ever. And uh, last time I was down there, I mean, I can't really re- It was a long time ago. I can't remember the names of any of the restaurants, but New Orleans as a food experience was was amazing for that reason. And I went I went to college in Houston, and so oh, nice. a, yeah, I went to Rice, and, and New Orleans was a five hour drive, so got to go there as a young kid, but obviously really didn't appreciate the food as much back then. But yeah, I really love to to get back down there um, for the cuisine there. And then I'm also excited that uh, a good friend of mine just moved to Nashville, and I've heard some great things about the uh, the, the food scene there, uh, in terms of kind of comfort food and burgers and beer and stuff like that. So I'm I'm really excited to to go visit him and 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 do that whole food scene. So oh yeah, Vanderbilt is the favorite away game of of every SEC team. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's a that's a good trip every other year. So you, it's well, a lot of, because you get the win. Yeah, we get the win, and, and it's easier to get tickets. You get the win. You there get you know. hot chicken. You get the you know the whole Broadway uh, scene down there. Uh, so it, there's you know Nashville's kind of got that country music novelty thing happening, and right, very much a new South feel, and lots of great culinary experiences like you're talking about. So it's it's a it's a win on a lot of a lot of levels. Awesome. Well, I'll be sure to get a more specific list from you guys uh, next time I come down. <laughs> All right. Ed, that's Dr. Ed Fang. Please subscribe to his news, his free newsletter at thepowerrank.com. Check out his, his member stuff and be sure to, to subscribe and listen to his football analytics podcast. Cause you're going to get, it's a ton of information and uh, he has an amazing guest. Ed, thank you for joining us. And uh, can I get a go dogs from you? Go dogs. Go dogs. All right. Go dogs. Thank you. Go dogs.